Captain's Log, Stardate 74345.7 My senior staff and I are hard at work at the station with a sudden influx of visitors. Elorians, Klingons, and Vulcans are all gathering for what seems to be a once-in-a-generation event. Astrometrics reports spatial anomalies being the sudden cause of such an influx of people. This episode of These Are the Voyages is dedicated to pure joy. All right. Well, here we are again. It's just it's just us folks here today. It's um it's we got the gang back together, but by gang I mean Commander Eric and I are are up in the house for this regular old episode of the podcast and um anyways everyone welcome to these are the voyages on the captain i'm captain chase mckinney and if this is your very first time listening to this podcast uh welcome 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 we um are a podcast that talks trek whatever we feel like talking about we talk about it and we try and have fun doing it that is the mission is we attempt to have fun fun is not always a four-letter word. I mean... Fun yeah. is never a four-letter word, is it? No, I'm just saying, like... You know, like, how you have to, like... You, like, get voluntold to have fun. And, like, it's it's obligatory fun. It's it's not that kind of four-letter word. Ah, obligatory uh, fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the worst kind of fun. <laughs> I remember, dude... I remember, like... You and I growing up and and doing like all our scout stuff and like you know we'd be voluntold and it's like okay we're having scheduled like mandatory fun or or whatever like at at camps and service days and things like that. Well, I feel like like mandatory fun or where you're told you have to have fun. That's like there's that neighbor kid down the street that no <laughs> one likes, but your parents tell you you got to go play with him. You're like, go have fun with that weird kid down the street. I don't care if he's weird. So that's why you hung out with me. Your mom told me to go hang out with me. I got gotcha. you. Right. Yep. It's all making sense now. <laughs> 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 well, everyone, uh, I am joined by my friend, Eric, my, my dear friend, Commander Eric. Um, and it's just him and I um, here at the station today. So how the heck are you doing, man? I am doing very well. I've been sick for the past week. It's not COVID. I got tested. It was negative. You can get sick with other things. Just a regular old flu. But mm. I'm, I'm getting over it, and I'm feeling good. That's good. I'm very glad that you don't have the Rona. I've been, like, this tempted to... And by this tempted, I mean I'm, like, putting my, my index finger and thumb together with a little tiny in-between thing. Um, I've, I've been very tempted to get tested. My wife w tested negative for COVID, and I figure we're all up in each other's business, like doing life together. If she doesn't have the Rona, I probably don't have the Rona, and I can still taste food and stuff, but like you, I've got like some like residual like snot, like weird throat spittle thing going on mm. yeah yummy. <laughs> that's mm. an image yummy <laughs> can you draw that for me 
No, you don't want me to draw anything ever. Okay, fine. Well, anyway, yeah, I figure if if I don't if she didn't have the Rona, I don't have the Rona. You don't have the Rona. We are Rona free. No COVID nineteen in twenty twenty. Yeah, I I haven't been within six feet of you in no. quite a, in quite a while, so I no. can't pass it to you. No, is it too soon to announce though that you will be in, within six feet of me in the near future? I mean, I don't think so. I mean, it's not like a surprise, is it? Or a secret. Might no. be a surprise, but I don't think it's a secret. No. I'm really excited. So this will be the, the first time that's being officially announced that come December, um, we are going to probably tick some people off in listener land, and we are going to violate the whole social distancing thing. Eric is coming to Texas, and he's going to come visit me. So um, this is this is huge. This is huge. It's huge. It's huge. <laughs> it's huge. <laughs> God, like, this will be like the first like, time in like a decade. Yeah, I, I was trying to think back. It's probably been ten years at least since at college. Least. I mean, we saw each other like a handful of times on campus uh-huh. and stuff. Like, I mainly hung out in French Hall. There at U of M Flint, um, but like a bunch of band folks. I was hanging out up in the math lab, doing my math thing with all the yeah. math people. I was not in the math lab. Math, math lab. Yeah, the, the, ma- the math. M A. <laughs> <laughs> Good night. Hmm. Was there? Never mind. <laughs> there had to have been. I mean, it was. Never mind. I don't want to trash yeah, the time. Let's. Yeah. Let's. It's a family show, for the most part, for the most part. But yeah, it's been, it's been at least, at bare minimum, ten years since we've been like occupying the same space. And I mean, I'm yeah, my last, gosh, my last like scouting event was Fall Conclave of 2010. Like I went there and. I remember you weren't there. I know you weren't at Conclave in the fall. You were doing something. I think you had moved to Missouri or somewhere uh, by then. Well, I mean, I didn't move to Missouri until 2011. Okay. I just remember you weren't. I just remember you not being there. And, I mean, it might have been, like, maybe a year prior when you and I might have, like, shared, like, a tent together, like, on our last camping trip or something. I don't know. We'll have to go back and... You know, yeah, check the memories. Yeah, yeah. Search back through the memory computer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't worry, we'll figure that out next month when you're here. I, like, I'll, I'll uh, bust out the fire. We can like, like smoke something, like meats. Yeah, smoke yeah. Meats. Smoke some meats, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, let's let's like <laughs> clarify. Like, smoking means cooking food. <laughs> In the context of Eric and I, yes. Yes. <laughs> Oh my goodness! Well, I'm looking forward to that. There's um, a couple of joints around my neck of the woods, um, and I don't know how long you're going to be here in like the Dallas Fort Worth area. But um, anyways, I'm looking forward to having you here and taking you to at least one, maybe two spots, depending on the time um, that you have available to you on your way down to see family in uh, Central Texas. Yeah, you know, it's it's still going to be like nine hours 
to drive from where I am to you, right? So, you know, I mean, I've made the drive um, quite a few times, and I, like, it's boring and it's long. Story of my life. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> mine, mine too. <laughs> so, okay, I got to know this. Um, for anyone out there that is not in the Texas area or that's never like done a road trip through Texas, there is this glorious, wonderfully amazing uh, place to stop while you're driving. It's called Bucky's. Have oh. you ever stopped at a Bucky's, Eric? The the giant hundred hundred pump gas stations that they have? Yes, with a big old beaver. Yeah, I yeah, I've <laughs> I've stopped at one of those a time or two. Like it's like how many gas pumps are there at that thing? A oh, hundred. <laughs> we we don't want to wait. <laughs> <laughs> So let's put in a hundred. I'm just waiting for them to like design like a mega Bucky's and it's going to have like a thousand. A mega Bucky's? <laughs> I mean, I don't think there's ever going to be a mega Bucky's, but that'd be awesome. And it'd be like, you know, three, four, five times as huge, like that much more gift shop, that many, that many more immaculate bathrooms. I mean, I don't think I've ever been inside of one. Dude. Okay. Uh if you okay i'm just telling you we purposefully stop at bucky's whenever we're like driving through texas because of their bathrooms like their bathrooms are so clean like it's not <laughs> even funny and like okay i'm about to i'm about to like make things a little weird uh for people out there in listener land so there's like an unspoken rule whenever you go to a men in a men's restroom you do not stand next to someone even if there's a divider Every other one. Every other every one. other one. Even if there is a divider, every other one. Okay. Well, at Bucky's, they take that into account. <laughs> oh, really? And they take that into account, and but what they do is they they make a brick wall, so you can still stand next to someone, and you can be all up doing your business, and <laughs> and you don't see the person next to you because there's like this wall that's like literally like messing like with your blind spot so like it's literally creating a blind spot for you well you know it's, it's fantastic we are talking about bathrooms on a star trek podcast <laughs> when have we ever seen a bathroom in star trek ever leak leak i'm not detecting any leak <laughs> <laughs> see full circle full circle no we've seen a sonic shower before uh -huh. So that's like, like, and we've heard a reference to taking a leak, but um, anyway, you got to go to Bucky's. You got to get some beaver nuggets and um, a questionable uh, Bucky's t-shirt to complete your experience of driving to Central Texas. All right. Well, I uh, uh, I'll make sure to go inside one of them this time. There we go. There we go. They have like all the the weird tchotchkes that you can get from Texas and home decor and they got pellet grills and all the, I mean anything and everything you could ever dream of they have there pretty much um, at one point I think I saw TVs for sale wow figure that a gas one out. station at a gas it, it not, it's not just a gas station it's a Bucky's <laughs> okay all right <laughs> oh good grief all right man well 
we're we're about a month away from that happening and uh, that'll be exciting and you know it was kind of unintentional um maybe not so unintentional i don't know but when i was originally like coming up with stuff that i wanted to talk about you know this year on the podcast i was thinking like holiday how can we trek the halls and i know it's not necessarily a straight up christmas movie but it is and it is but it isn't it's the closest one to a christmas movie and that's star trek generations which is what we're going to be talking about today so that's my way of weaseling in like christmas and the holidays with star trek on this podcast and this movie came out in november of 1994 so that's why we're talking about it today and it's going to double as a christmas episode of sorts so Eric, I know that this is a sh- not a show. This is a movie that you adore. That you have seen it a gazillion and a half times, um, almost in the same vein that I've seen Star Trek: First Contact. It's kind of like that for you. Yeah. So, um, you know, 1994. You and I were about, you know, seven years old. Um, now. I don't think I've ever heard you talk about Generations apart from like, you know, I'm passing with like some of the other shows that we've recorded together. Nothing like too in depth. Now, was this a movie that you saw in theaters uh, when it came out or or shortly thereafter it came out? No, I don't think I saw it in theaters. Um, We had this movie on VHS and... um, I know I had seen some Star Trek, you know, old reruns with my dad, and I'm pretty sure I had seen Voyager, like Voyager had started before I saw this movie, because Voyager started in January of 95, and I don't think we would have had this on VHS until after that, but we had that VHS copy, and I wore that thing out. I watched that so many times. We had this little um, 12-inch, maybe, TV, and it was, like, super big and super heavy for only being 12 inches, but it had, like, a built-in VCR to it, and it had this adapter where you could plug it into a normal outlet in your house, but you could also hook this adapter up and plug it into the cigarette lighter of your car. Okay. Right back back in the day, kids, cars <laughs> used to have these cigarette lighters in. They were little round things, and you pushed in the, you pushed it in, and it would like then it would pop, and you could pull it out, and you could light your cigarette with it. But you could take that out and plug in electronics to it in your car. And we would go as family on camping trips up north, and in Michigan, up north is where you go camping. It could right. be anywhere from, like, a half hour to five hours. It's all just up north. <laughs> and we would go camping up north, and my, my grandparents lived up by Alpena, which is from where yeah. we lived, which was two and a half hours away. And what my brother and I would do is we would sit in the back seat. We had, like, a van. We had, like, the third row all the way in the back. And we would we would take this TV with this built-in VCR and we would like 
fold down part of the middle the middle the middle seat and shove this TV in between there and we would watch movies on these two three hour road trips that we took as families and that was how our parents kept us calm and we watched Star Trek Generations I want to say we watched it every single trip at least at least one of the directions up and back <laughs> you know at least one of those we watched this movie so many times and I just I loved it and you know this would have had to have been in 95 96 97 era and I I just was so in love with this movie for a lot of reasons and I was like we have to bring this on every road trip we go on sure that's that's awesome that's awesome yeah um I can definitely vouch for what Eric is saying, you know, having lived in in uh, Southeast Michigan where, I mean, that's where we were. We, we lived in Southeast Michigan, and, I mean, 30 minutes north, give or take, is like Frankenmuth. Um, and, you know, Bay City, Saginaw, and then you get all the way up, you know, into the, well, never mind, the Mitten. I mean, you look at, like, the Mitten. and God, I hate when people do that. Don't do that. I hate that. <laughs> Like, people are like, show me on your hand where you're from. No, no, I don't want to do that. I refuse. Oh man. But yeah, that's that's really cool. I'm, I'm um. So not Star Trek related, but I had, um, <clears throat> I had a similar kind of tradition, like with one of our mutual friends. Whenever we would be going up north, like anytime we went on a camping trip, actually it was with the Fredericks. Um, and Mr. Fredericks, he was just trying to be funny one time, one time, one time he was trying to be funny and it just stuck. And I remember when it was, it was May 2002. And the only reason I remember it was May 2002 is my ordeal weekend, um, up at Camp Topico up in, um, Kalkaska, Michigan. Okay. And basically Kalkaska and he put on share like shares greatest hits <laughs> okay <laughs> and the song that he played over and over again is do you believe in life after love that song was like huge back in like 98 99 whenever it came right? out so any, every time, it didn't matter if we were going up north to Topeko, we could be going down the road at like a local camp or something, like even to Halaka. Anytime we were riding with the Fredericks, like if it was Christian and I and his dad, we would always listen to Cher on, a way, on our way to a camping trip. So um, you, you, have, you have Star Trek Generations with your family, and I have Cher. So thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I, think I, I think I won that. Probably, probably. Um, but I mean, it's it's still funny to think about, like you know, having these like traditions whenever we go on trips and stuff. So I mean, I was talking about Bucky's before, and you know, stopping there for their amazing Whiz Palaces and Beaver Nuggets and stuff like that. And anyway, we are getting way sidetracked um, at this point now. So with this movie, you 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 have a lot of fond memories watching this with your brother. Uh, maybe even using that, you know, cigarette lighter to maybe stick him with it or him stick you with it. One of the two. I don't know. 
It was a form of torture back in the 90s and early 2000s um, before we became more civilized with our <clears throat> car chargers outlets. Um, so 1994 was the same year that Star Trek The Next Generation uh, wrapped, that it went off the air after its seventh and final season. And uh, we know that that the final episode aired in May of 1994 for the Next Generation cast. But in reality, um, if I'm not mistaken, the season had wrapped back in, I think, March. March of the same year, thereabouts. And the cast had about a 10-day hiatus, uh, from what I remember, um, before they started filming this particular movie, before they started filming Star Trek Generations. And just like we've kind of seen... In, uh, we didn't really, we didn't see it in the original series because it was the original series, but um, basically in every um, um, show we've had some kind of passing of the baton between shows to the next show um, as like a ceremonial kind of thing, and we saw in Encounter at Farpoint, uh, we saw um, the Forrest Kelly play a very very old. Uh, Leonard McCoy talking to to Data there at the end uh, or thereabouts um, essentially handing it off and that's essentially what this movie was doing with Generations is we had had six prior films uh, with the original crew with Kirk's crew and they were trying to figure out like how the heck we can kind of make this work and we uh, there were, I think it, it had evolved. Um, maybe you know more about this than I do, Eric, but it had kind of evolved in terms of like which cast members were or were not going to be um, involved from the original crew. And it, it ended up being um, Kirk, Scott, and um, um, Chekhov. Yeah, so um, from what I've read is that uh, Leonard Nimoy actually asked to direct this movie. But they said that there was not enough time for him to make the script changes that he wanted to. So he he then backed out of directing it. And I think that might have been interesting to have him direct this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they had asked um, George Takai to play Sulu. But s- he said, no, uh, Sulu is captaining the Excelsior right now. It doesn't make any sense for him to come just be some ceremonial person on the send-off of this new ship, and that's why they created, like, his daughter's character, you know, Sulu at the helm of the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we had, um, we had Alan Ruck, I think that's his name, Alan Ruck, um, play the captain of, of the uh, Enterprise B, and he gets a lot, I think that character gets a lot of crap um, in the fandom for kind of how that was handled, like the, you know, five, ten minutes that he was on screen. Um, he gets a lot of crap, but if you, like, look more into it, I mean, he was, like, a well-to-do person. Like, he was very connected with people in the uh, higher ranks of Starfleet in the Federation. Um, so there's partly him getting... Uh, like a little bit of nepotism is essentially like what's kind of playing out. But um, if you read more into like more like Apocrypha and just like other extended 
universe type stuff with Star Trek. His character did a lot of good, did a lot of great um, first contact missions and a lot of diplomacy type stuff um, as captain of the Enterprise B. So, so yeah, what was your, I mean, when you're watching this and you see this new captain of the Enterprise, you see Alan Ruck, um, what, 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 what's your, your take on him? Well, Alan Ruck, I recognized him from Spin City. He was always, wasn't he? He was um, the, I forget, I can't think of any character's name on that. But he was on Spin City as, like, like the womanizing character. Mm-hmm. And I that, that, <clears throat> that was always what came to mind, like, when I was watching this. It's like, that's the Spin City guy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was still young, so the idea when, you know, of understanding actors playing... A bunch of different roles is is still kind of new to you and sure. so when you when you finally recognize somebody as being from somewhere else I think that sticks with you a little bit yeah and I've probably no one hate me for this but I think I've seen Ferris Bueller's Day Off like maybe three times in my entire lifetime I've never seen it so and so he played Cameron in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. So he played uh, the best friend. Um, and there are shenanigans that happen with that anyway. Um, but I think most people at the time would probably have known him from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And I mean, this was 94. And I want to say that Ferris Bueller came out in the early to mid 80s, if I'm not mistaken. Um, that's what I'm going with. Sounds right. Yeah. But um, with just just a brief synopsis of this, um, and I know we're kind of going all over the place, but with with generations, we have a new we have a new um, enterprise. We have some living legends that are are coming aboard to give it a proper send off. Shenanigans ensue and. Kirk is lost um, in service, uh, presumably lost in service to uh, Starfleet and saving other people's lives. And what happens next is we are um, we we fast forward um, roughly 80 years to the crew that we've been accustomed to with the next generation and this new mission with some grief, with some changes, and the 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 future on the line um, and how we respond to that. It's a very loose way of describing this movie. So Eric, I've, I can talk forever about first contact and why it's my favorite movie. I have done it before both here and on other podcasts, but let's just take some time. Like I'm just going to give you some runway for you just to talk about whatever you want to talk about in terms of why you love this movie as much as you do, apart from maybe like the nostalgia and the road trip stuff that you were just talking about. Yeah, so first of all, I would say that this movie is really the the finale of The Next Generation. I know we have All Good Things, which is an amazing episode of television, a double episode of television, but it's not really an ending in the sense that... Um, you know, D Space Nine has an ending and Voyager has an ending. And so this movie really serves as the ending of the next generation. And 
it wraps up so many things so well. I mean, I I watched this movie I saw for the first time back in 95 and I had probably only seen a handful, half a dozen next generation episodes at that point. So when I'm watching this, I honestly have very little concept of what's actually happening here. Like who are all these people and what are all these storylines that are going on? It wasn't till 2006 that I actually watched the next generation through the fu- the whole time and then I went back and I watched this movie again after I I had seen The Next Generation all the way through. And I'm like, man, this movie is just better. It's just better. (laughs) It's even better now that I've seen The Next Generation because I know all of these things that are happening. Like, this opening scene that we see with The Next Generation crew on the holodeck and it's Worf's promotion. This is just, this is like a fabulous scene. Like, bring out the prisoner! <laughs> you're like, wait, what's going on? The prisoner? And then he's like, you knowingly went above and beyond the call of duty, and I promote you. And then, walk the plank! You know, I always loved pirate stories as a kid, and so yeah. they're making somebody walk the plank, and he jumps up and he grabs that hat, and Riker's like, computer, remove the plank! And he falls into the water. <laughs> you know? retract plank. Yeah, and then Riker's like, uh, set the stuncels and do this. And he's like, what's a what's stuncel? <laughs> it's just, it's so, that opening scene right there of this crew, it's so much fun. And you don't even, I don't even feel like you, ha- you it makes more sense when you've seen The Next Generation. But I don't think you have to. And I yeah. mean, that's one of the reasons why I love this movie. And I think that, I think that this is probably, I think all of the next generation movies do a good job of creating a good story where yes, they'll make more sense if you've seen the show, but mm-hmm. I still think you can enjoy all of them like on their own as just movies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, go ahead. Oh, one, I want to just talk about this real quick while I'm thinking of it. The ship, like in that when we when we get to the next gen crew, and they're at Worf's um, promotion ceremony, they're on they're on the the, the tall ship. Um, I was watching. I can't remember which. Um, I want to say it was called Prop Life or something like that on <gasps> Disney Plus. And it talks about like famous props and and whatnot. Uh, <clears throat> anyway, somewhere in there, oh, it was Pirates of the Caribbean. That's what it was. Uh, I was watching a pirate, the Pirates of the Caribbean episode of it. And anyways, they they go to this part. They they fly out to I think like Washington or something like that. And one of the ships that they use in Pirates of the Caribbean is the same ship that they had used in Generations. And it's called the Lady Washington. And I don't know if anyone knew that, but it's called the Lady Washington. It is still in commission now. So, like, they have, like, taken very, very, very good care of it with it now being, you know, 26 years since since Generations came out um, at the time of this recording, of course. 
Um, but it had been around even before that. Like that ship had been used, has been used on multiple um, movies. Like it was used in Pirates of the Caribbean. It was used in obviously Generations. Uh, the um, IMAX film, The Great American West. It was the Jolly Roger on the ABC show Once Upon a Time. If anyone's ever seen that. Um, so it was Captain Hook, like the Once Upon a Time Captain Hook's Jolly Roger. Um, so this is a very, very popular ship um, in terms of like pop culture, like on the in the appearances that it's made. So I wanted to, I just wanted to point that out because I thought it was like so stinking cool. Once I made that connection, I was like, that ship looks really familiar. Like I'm like, that looks really friggin' familiar when I saw it, like when I saw it on that documentary, and it it's the same ship. So there we go. I'm gonna shut up now. You were saying, Eric? No, I and like I love that scene, and then Data's struggle with his emotion ship. Mm-hmm. Like, who hasn't struggled with their emotions, right? I mean, I've I struggled with them Never. a lot. But like, Data puts this emotion ship in, and he's like. It's I'm Mr. Tricorder. <laughs> he's just he's like, whoa, date, and they're looking in this torpedo on the on the the observatory station. Jordy's like, whoa, Data, get a look at this. Have you ever seen anything like this? He's like, no, I have not. This no, is most Jordy. unusual. Have you? No, it is most unusual. <laughs> he's talking to the tricorder. <laughs> And then he's like, he's like, I believe this door is magnetically sealed. And he like waves his arm, open sesame. I guess you could say I have a magnetic personality. <laughs> I mean, and when you're a kid, when you're a kid, dumb jokes are the greatest thing ever. Like, and I mean, and, they're still pretty great. Yeah, and when he's waving his arm in front of the wall and it opens, when you're a kid, and you like discover the the automatic door openers on like stores and stuff. You have you've done that before, like waved your arms really funny in front of them, or like maybe like kicked them and try like, look, I'm gonna kick and the doors are gonna open. I shouldn't be saying this on this podcast, but like a lot of the time I'm doing like the Jedi hand wave. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But and and then of course like there's the goosh, automatic door. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's so when you're a kid, things like that are just fun. Yeah. And I still I still laugh at Mr. Tricorder to this day. Like I'm always gonna be laughing at that. <laughs> <laughs> and, oh shoot! And the stakes just seem so high when you're watching this movie. He's like, oh my god, he just blew up a star. And he wants to blow up another star? Holy mm-hmm. crap! Like, this is like the end of the world! Oh, yeah. And, and oh, it's yeah. just the, the like, the st- I, I don't think I'd ever seen a movie. I mean, I think I'd seen Star Wars before this. Like, when I say Star Wars, I mean Episode 4, A New Hope. But the stakes didn't seem as big in that. I know they blew up a, they blew up a planet. And blowing up a planet is not that big as blowing up a star. And it's just like the stakes just seem so high. It was like, they have got to stop this crazy nut job from blowing up a star. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, like, he was a crazy nut job, like, at that point to me. I mean, 
I have a lot differing opinions about Dr. Soren now than I do back then, and we'll get into that later because that's something that I think is probably going to be a hot take. Talk about Soren, huh? Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. I want, um, you know, we're just kind of talking about, like, our experiences, like, with this movie, kind of broadly speaking right now before I really get into more of the specifics. And um, I know that you haven't been there, Eric, and I think, like, probably some of our listeners have uh, when it was around, but Star Trek The Experience. Um, I've talked and touched on that, like, before. And, dude, I can remember like whenever I had like my Trek awakening, right? Like in, in the, in our, our college years basically. And I drank the Kool-Aid and I went all gaga for it. My mom was living out in Vegas at the time. She worked as a concierge for the MGM grand. And I had asked her like, Hey, I want to go check out. Can I go check out Star Trek, the experience? And she got me like the Vegas resident rate, which was fantastic. A lot cheaper for tickets to everything. And one of the first things that I can remember, I might have been high. I was not high. I might have been high, though, was like you see like the the outstretched like victory pose that um, Soren was doing uh, whenever he, at the towards the, the, the ending of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you had like a big old montage of like generations and a little bit of like first contact um, and like interspersed like with some other TV episodes from Trek. And that'll be something that like will forever be imprinted with like my my recollection, my memories of Star Trek. The experience was some very critical scenes from generations. And the thing that and I'm sure that we'll talk about this too, generations doesn't get the same amount of love that a lot of other Trek movies get. And there's like that whole like odd number versus even numbered films type of thing that we we've talked about, you know, here and there, you know, that the, the even numbered ones generally speaking do better than the odd numbered ones. And this one is the odd numbered one. This is technically star Trek seven. Um, and yeah, and when you think about it, like Star Trek Six and then Star Trek Eight: First Contact, those are like pretty much everyone's, like at the top of everyone's list. Wrath of Khan, Voyage Home, Undiscovered Country, First Contact. Those are yeah. all the even-numbered films. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I'm just gonna go out and say, it, like, I don't think that this is a dumpster fire. Like, I think this is a great. I think it's a great uh, Trek adventure. Oh, I mean, especially it, for uh, especially for like connecting the two crews, basically. Yeah, yeah. So when you think about Star Trek, um, and I wasn't thinking about this back when I was a kid and watching it and just enjoying it for its entertainment value, but when you think about Star Trek being um, using science and like philosophy. Mm-hmm. Um, this has got all of that, and it's 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 a really good Star Trek story. I mean, I don't want to poo-poo Star Trek Four because a lot of people love Star Trek Four, the one with the whales. But like <laughs> the fact that we call it the one with the whales, like 
come on, people. It's not that great. It's just the one with the whales, and you just like it because there be whales in here. But this is such a better Star Trek story than I think a lot of people give it credit for. And I think one of the problems with a lot of the Next Generation movies, you know, Star Trek Insurrection and Star Trek Nemesis, is they don't... Sometimes they don't feel like Star Trek stories. There's not, there's not enough of, like, the science or the exploration or the diplomacy in those movies as there as there was in the show because the movies tended to be bigger and more action oriented and i think this movie generations while it definitely has some great action pieces like there are some great action scenes in this movie filmed fantastically it is not action heavy yeah it's th this one isn't and like i think the most action we get is like really i mean if i can just play kind of like fast and loose with it it's like beginning like briefly in the beginning briefly in the middle and briefly at the end like i mean enterprise b the station the space station right mm -hmm. and then at the end with yep. trying to stop the fight or stop the the missile from being launched or yeah or i mean there's the like the space battle between the bird of prey and and Reich and the Enterprise and like I you know I said oh he's blowing up a star the stakes are so high mm -hmm. but when the Enterprise blows up you're like no way and right. then it crash lands on the planet this is one of like the great Star Trek action pieces that's ever been filmed the Enterprise D crashing on this planet it is amazing and like uh, watching it when i was a kid when i was seven eight nine years old watching it now when i'm 33 like i still am amazed every time i see the ship crash like it there's like i know we've, we've been talking about discovery recently we kind of mentioned this when discovery crashes in season three episode two and it's right. like it's like over and there's like nothing to it right. but this scene here okay we're going down and data's like oh shit and like <laughs> we as an audience we as an audience we're like oh shit as well and you know we're going through the atmosphere and we're burning up as we're in the atmosphere and then we crash and we see this crash from like every aspect we see it outside the ship as like the dirt and the trees are flying over it and we're getting all dirty and then we go to the bridge and we see nobody wearing seat belts and they're flying over everything and then we see people huddled in other parts of the ship trying to like protect themselves so they don't get hurt and then it's cutting between all these scenes and we're just we're riding out the inertia until until our momentum stops and then we turn and we finally stop and we look back and there's like a miles long swath of just like scorched earth behind us and you're right. like damn this was this yeah. was this was real like this ship is not going anywhere my very first time watching that dude 
friggin' heartbroken, like seeing that like play out, like, oh my god, like that's the Enterprise D, the D is dead, like holy cow, like how are they gonna get out of this one? And then, like the whole time travel e thing that's kind of going on, like they do like a little redo of it basically. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wait, are they gonna save the Enterprise D? Nope. No, nope. because because then you see it. You see when he blows up the star. Like this is interesting. Like the bad guy actually succeeds. You don't see that too often. Like, but our bad guy. Basically, his evil, diabolical plan works, right? And then you see the the planet is blowing up, and you you see at one point where the Enterprise has crashed, and people are walking on top of the hull, and then just the planet is blowing up, and you see the ship blow up with just these people standing on the hull, and you're like, holy crap! Yeah. Like, what? Yeah. They, they can't lose? They can't lose? And then we have Christmas. Yeah. Then we have a very Star Trek Christmas. Which, I mean, it was very Victorian and fancy. I mean, I know Picard's French. I mean, that doesn't escape me. But, like, it was just, like, uber fancy. And, I mean, I'm not going to... I'm not going to nitpick the fact that they had, like, a different... Um, a person playing his nephew. I mean, that's that's neither here nor there. But well, well interesting fact about about that. Just real quick. Um, yeah. So uh, Rene, that I don't know the actor's mm-hmm. name, but he shows up in um, Family, right? right? Season season four, episode two. But that same actor who plays Rene later goes on to play young Picard in Rascals, the episode where Picard Guinan. Keiko oh, yeah. and Rolaire and all get like trans transporter accidented and turned into kids. It's the same actor that plays young Picard that played Renee. How about Renee. them apples? How about that? That's pretty neat. Man, oh man, I'm gonna keep you around for a little bit, Eric. I got, <laughs> I right. got, I got knowledge locked inside here. Right here, yeah. not my noodle. Yep. <laughs> That's cool. I I didn't make that connection with. Uh, with it, but that does make sense that, I mean, they would probably tap him like, hey, you know how you played Picard's nephew? You're playing Picard now. Congratulations. You've been promoted. Yeah. So. Yeah, and this 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 movie, it's just so much fun. Like, it is, it's a fun movie when you're a kid just to watch because there's so many interesting things that are happening. But yeah. then once you understand, once you've watched The Next Generation, like, it just, everything just makes so much more sense. Like, mm. okay, here's Lursa and Bator, these two Klingons. Like, I had no idea who they were. I just, they're, they're the bad guys, you know? But then you're like, oh, I get it. <laughs> like, I get who these people are. Right, right. And I think, I'm trying to remember, like, the order that I did things, like, I think I had watched <clears throat> I think I had watched all of Next Gen maybe or I was in the maybe I was in the middle of watching Next Gen um when I started like just wanting to consume all the things that were Trek and 
I, I think I'd mentioned this before. Like I went to like a, I found like a bunch of videos like at a garage sale or something. So I got like all, I had all the VHSs through, actually I got, I had all, all 10 of them. Now that I think about it, I got all 10 on VHS and I watched the heck out of them. And I remember like getting to, to Lursa and Bator and not really knowing who they were, but then going back and like, especially like whenever you're you're like get to like the Klingon stuff and like trying to figure out like the whole Galron thing and and like what's going on with like the Klingon High Council you realize you know oh yeah they're they're kind of a big deal it, by comparison like they're, they're not just like a one-off kind of thing like they they are actually there in the background kind of meddling doing things and then seeing them again is like a major payoff Oh, I yeah. think for their characters. Yeah, because after I mean after the Klingon Civil War, you see them twice. They show up on Deep Space 9 in one episode and then they're in an episode like late in season 7 of The Next mm-hmm. Generation where like Alexander from the future, Worf's son from the future comes back to the past and there's like a storyline involving that and Lursa and Bator both show up in that episode. But, yeah. you know, here we get the final payoff. Man, oh, man. Yeah, and, and, and I, we haven't talked about the director. Um, this movie was directed by David Carson, who, you know, it's not, like, a big name that anyone's going to recognize. But he he directed, like, across The Next Generation and Deep Space Nine, he directed, like, eight episodes. But he actually directed Redemption Part 2. You know, the end of the Klingon Civil War with Lursa and okay. Bator. And I don't okay. know if, like, the fact that he directed that episode had any, like, bearing on him being given this this job directing this movie or not. I, I have no idea. He, um, I just looked it up, but he also um, directed Emissary, so the yep. DS9 pilot. Yep. And, and Move Along Home. There we go. Yep. The hopscotch <laughs> episode. <laughs> you know, I actually don't mind that episode. I know, anymore. I know. I, I've heard you say that. I mean, I mean, I know Nana. She gave it some some crap in the uh, the what we left behind documentary there when the credits were rolling, but. I think it's it's not bad, but we're not here to talk about Deep Space Nine, even though it'd be fun to talk about. Uh, okay, so we've we've talked a little bit of like we've kind of talked broadly about things that kind of stand out to us, um, and you know what what are some maybe things that like worked and didn't work for you um, more specifically with this, this particular film? Well, I don't think there's anything that doesn't work for me for this film. I think, I mean, I'll say it, I'll say it here, Ronald D. Moore, I'll say this guy's name a bunch on every pod, like Ronald D. Moore wrote this movie and he is an amazing writer. He, you know, he wrote first contact. He created the board queen he wrote Tapestry, which was my number one moment of Picard. He, he, you know, 
great Star Trek writer then went on to create Battlestar Galactica. He's just a fantastic writer. He knows what he's doing. And I think... I don't think there's anything in this movie that's really wasted. I think all of it really plays a role. I mean, there might be some moments where Data's emotion feels like a subplot that maybe, you know, you could have dropped. Like, there could be a few things. But I actually like that payout because that's, like, what Data was working for the entire, you know, seven seasons of The Next Generation. And so, like, everything for this movie works. I guess I would say that... You know, Riker doesn't really have a whole lot to do in this movie. I mean, he's got the one amazing scene where he figures out how to, you know, activate the Klingon cloak, but he's basically not really doing much this movie. Right. Um, Worf, other than the promotion ceremony at the beginning, Worf really doesn't have anything to do in this movie. I mean, I think that's a problem with all of the Next Generation movies is that... Worf doesn't really have a lot to do. I mean, it doesn't even make sense for Worf to be in Insurrection or Nemesis because he was, you know, off on Deep Space Nine. But I like it makes sense for him to be in First Contact because he's commanding the Defiant and the Defiant was created as a warship to fight the Borg. So that makes sense. But yeah. I, I guess my, maybe the thing that didn't doesn't work is that some of these characters I feel like are underutilized, like Riker and, and Worf. Which I think is kind of interesting, like with, especially like with Riker, um, is, you know, Frakes <sighs> was the one that directed First Contact and Insurrection, the two subsequent films following this one that we're talking about. <clears throat> Excuse me. And despite him directing it, his character played a pretty substantial role in those two films and yet in this one which is just coming it's it's on the heels of like this ensemble cast like sharing screen time over the course of seven seasons and I mean this movie if I can just say it it's more Picard than anything else I think it's a Picard story yeah is I think is really what it boils down to and the fact that we don't see much of Riker or Worf, to your point, I think is kind of a detriment to the film. Um, I mean, we get to see a little bit of, of Deanna. I mean, she takes on more of like a role. And people, I think, unfairly um, criticize her for being the, the, the reason that the D was destroyed. And I think that's, I think that's unfair. Why would she people was, blame her? Because she was at the helm oh. whenever it crashed, so that's that's why. I think that's unfair, and I think that's it's very unfair. It's dumb. Very unfair. And um, I mean, data. I mean, data was like the B plot, perhaps, um, but Picard's the A plot, mm-hmm. um, but with I, a little bit of Kirk thrown in. But I mean, I, it makes sense to have your very first um, movie with this crew to be captain centric especially because the whole idea of this movie is to re- to join your two captains together and and here's this epic joining of these two people that people have loved for so long and you're making a story about those two so mm-hmm. i understand that from a storytelling perspective now this was again we we i, I 
talked about it briefly, like with a very quick synopsis of the film. Um, this is like a clash of the titans type of type of thing that's going on. We, like you said, we have Kirk and we have Picard that are finally like sharing the screen together, and you got fanboys. You have like that that perpetual war that's going to always be. Is it? Kirk or is it Picard? Who's your captain? Type of thing, and that's not. We're not here to have that conversation right now. But you finally get them together. Did it work? Well, I think it works very well. Like when they're in the Nexus together, and and um, Picard is trying to convince. Kirk to come back. He's like, he's like, you're a Starfleet officer. You have a duty and an obligation to, and, and Kirk's like, don't you lecture me about duty and obligation. I was out saving the galaxy when you were still, you know, when your grandparents were still in diapers. <laughs> and it's like, to, like, people don't put, no one puts Picard in his place like that, but Kirk does. And that's awesome. <laughs> and then they have this moment where he's like, he's like, well, who am I to argue with the captain of the Enterprise? And then he says, captain of the Enterprise, huh? Close to retiring? Wasn't planning on it. Don't. Don't let them transfer you. Don't let them promote you. Don't let them do anything to take you off of the bridge of that ship. Because as long as you're there, you can make a difference. And that's the place where you can make the biggest difference. And when when I'm a kid watching that, I'm like, yeah, like you like everyone wants to be the captain of the ship, right? And but now that when you understand like the movie journey of James Kirk, where he got promoted to Admiral and he basically hated it. And the entire movie journey was, you know, aging these characters and you see in the wrath of Khan that Kirk is basically in like he's depressed I don't know if he's clinically depressed but the idea that he's just an admiral and he's training people and he he can't go on a mission there's that scene between him and Bones where Bones is like damn it Jim other people have birthdays why are we acting like this is a funeral for you and so now when you when you see that journey of Kirk through the movies and then you get this mo you see this moment here where he's like don't ever leave the bridge of that ship because that's where you can make the biggest difference. Like that that's a I think that's the payout. Right. And I th and to your point, you know, we really see that I think we really see that journey starting definitely in the motion picture. But then it we get like kind of like a soft reboot. Um perhaps in Wrath of Khan where that same or similar um, thought process is kind of dialed up to 11 with with what you're with the very thing that you're getting at like you know he was doing everything he could with Decker to you know make himself the captain of the Enterprise again with Decker you know the person that he had handpicked to be his replacement and we saw how that played out and how how butthurt Decker was for good reason. Um, I mean, he's he was overseeing the refit of the Enterprise in that movie um, for for a long time. And here 
he's just like sauntering in, just taking over because he doesn't want to be an admiral anymore. He wants to be the captain. Anyway, but you know, I was, you know, we were talking pre-show. And he's like, you were like, um, I can pretty much quote this movie, and I was actually looking at the transcript of that of that exchange about like don't ever leave the bridge and you nailed that by the way well i mean you know (laughs) (laughs) i'm kind of a big deal (laughs) (laughs) i've only seen this movie over a hundred times there we go like probably closer to 200 i mean i would say but like Mm -hmm. putting a number to it you know yeah i've seen it a bunch there's nothing in star trek that i've seen as much as this movie Mm-hmm. If if I can be just a little real for a second, um, like with like the whole Admiral Kirk, Captain Kirk thing, I remember watching it, watching like the the TOS movies, and I was like, "All right, cool, Kirk's an admiral, yeah, buddy," and then getting like really ticked off in that whale movie. You know where he gets he finally he gets demoted to captain, and then we see him in five six, and then this one as Captain Kirk again. I was not very happy with that um, at all. I'm like, no man, you should be an admiral. Like you save you save the universe and stuff like that. And I mean that was what fourteen fifteen years ago. Whenever I saw that for the very first time give or take and now that I'm like 14 15 years on I can appreciate it more I still wish he was an admiral but um, I think that's the thing like people get like they they equate their worth with their accolades like I'm not I'm not as good of a person if I don't have this that or the other thing Um, if I don't have like the captain the captainship or the the Admiralty or, or whatever in the case of Star Trek. And that was something that, that was kind of like bugging me. But now that, again, we're both in our 30s, I can understand like that influence has way more value than it does with the pen that you have on your shoulder. And you got to know like what your what your influence is with the people around you in the in the field and the whatever it is that you're doing, whether it's professionally or personally like where can you have the most influence where can you affect the most change and you know I completely agree with you Eric that you really see that reckoning with Kirk in the Nexus whenever he's having that conversation on horseback with Picard you know he's like I ju- I've jumped that thing more times than I can count and it scares the living crap out of me every single time, but I just jumped that, and I wasn't afraid. I'm totally butchering it, but you know what I mean. And just seeing how that all played out, and then him finally picking up his own responsibility again and choosing to do the right thing um, in the, the final part of the film, I think is fantastic, um, especially when it culminates in his death and, like, how he dies, which... Yeah, it's like, did we... He's like... Did we make a difference? Oh yes, right. we made a difference. Mm-hmm. That I don't know if you knew this, but like the ending of that film, uh, with how Kirk died, was 
um, like they were told to go back and reshoot it because it just wasn't working. Because originally, um, I was reading um, on some of this that Soren was actually just shot him in the back and he died, mm. and it tested poorly with audiences. Yeah. And they kept trying to like Frankenstein their way out of it, of like how can we make this better? Like what can we do with it? Like you know, Paramount was giving them more money to go do the thing, to, to tweak it and do something with it. And that's where we kind of had like the whole, you know, dying on the bridge by the bridge falling on him kind of thing. So it was kind of like a funny juxtaposition kind of thing that Kirk was always on the bridge, but the bridge is the thing that killed him. So <laughs> can we laugh at that? <laughs> Yeah, I've heard that, you know, it's like now the bridge, <laughs> Kirk was on the bridge, now the bridge is on Kirk. Yeah, I, right. yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. I don't know, I so. feel like Soren just shooting him in the back is like, that'd be awful. Yeah, I would not be okay with that. Like, no. especially, I mean, like, I, I look back when I first watched it, and I probably wouldn't have been bothered by it, because I, I would just been, would have been very naive to it. I'm like okay he's dead but then going down the rabbit hole and watching all the trek and, and liking the characters and falling in love with the characters and all the adventures they go on yeah i would not have been happy had that plan, uh, panned out at all not no way no way mm-hmm. no nope 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 you wanted to so we're talking about we're kind of touching on soren right now and you said there was kind of like a hot take when it came to Soren that you wanted to kind of bring up. Yeah. So Malcolm McDowell plays yes. is he's a legend in the acting, right? Obviously, I think the thing that most people are going to recognize him from is A Clockwork Orange, right? That he played Alex, our main character in that. He is fantastic, Malcolm McDowell. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just guess my question is what makes a good villain right what makes a good villain how do you know that you've got a good villain and for me i think what makes a good villain is your ability to relate to him you know he your villain can't just be some mustache twirling yeah some caricature some james bond megalomaniac plot to destroy the world like that's not a good villain but i think what for me soren is an amazing villain here first of all because he's just a normal guy right he's not he's not con the superman you know it's not it's not um uh the god the god in shakari in mm-hmm. you know star trek 5 it's not some giant space probe thing that has unlimited power the viger cloud you know he's just a normal guy and when you have like a normal guy who's a villain like he's much more relatable but you look at Khan. I'm just going to go back to Khan here. What was Khan's motivation in The Wrath of Khan? He was... I mean, he he had like a another go at life, basically, with his wife, and six... What was it? Six months after being on the planet, 
stuff bad stuff happened and it messed with the gravitational pull basically and killed his wife and yeah. it was vengeance vengeance right that's his motivation is revenge plain and simple mm-hmm. and i can understand revenge like as a motivation like i personally don't in my life have never felt a need to take revenge but i think that's an understandable emotion yeah um if you go look at somebody like the Joker, I'm just going to say this right now. I don't care for the Joker as a character whatsoever. I know that this is like we're crossing our nerd streams here. Um, <laughs> don't cross the streams. But like I don't I don't think the Joker is an is a compelling character at all because what is the Joker's motivation? To create anarchy, to create chaos? Right? What kind of a motivation is that? I I have no idea. I can't understand that. It doesn't make sense to me. And I don't think the Joker is a good is a good villain at all. And hate tweet me all you want, people, for saying that. He doesn't have Twitter. Yeah, like uh, yeah, hate tweet me all you want. I don't think the Joker is a good villain at all. Okay. Okay. But Soren is an amazing villain. Like Soren is a better villain than Khan. I said it. I will never take that statement back. Soren is a top five villain in Star Trek history. Like, maybe, like, the Borg Queen is the only person that I think is a better villain than... than and Gold Dukat, maybe, you know, at the very end of Deep Space Nine. And then Soren. That's it. That's the villain. That's the villainry right there. He's a better villain than Khan. And I will never apologize for saying that. And I don't care if people hate me for that. I believe it. I don't think, I mean, I don't think people would. I mean, I mean, I think the only thing that maybe goes against that, like with maybe people listening, is it's the fact that Wrath of Khan is revered the way in which it is. So therefore, Khan and con at all basically um is is on a different pedestal but i think what you're getting at eric with the fact that there's more relatability with with this particular character like he's he is essentially an everyman mm-hmm. like when you get when you really get down to it he's an everyman like he lost he lost his his family his culture his planet he's a refugee and the one place that the dude was happy was taken away from him. And he's doing everything in his power to get that happiness back. He's not trying to be the mustache twirling dude, right? Like just to kill for the sake of killing. He's just trying to be happy again. And oh, by the way, like you're kind of in my way. Yeah. As I a mean, result, he has this great speech when Picard shows up on Viridian three Picard's like, what you're doing, Soren, you're no different than the Borg here. You're killing millions of people just for your own, for your own satisfaction, you know, for your own to do whatever you want to do. You're no different than the Borg. And he's like, you know, there was a time when I wouldn't hurt a fly. Then the Borg came. And if they told me if there's one constant in this universe, it's death. Okay? Oh, you can try to outrun death with doctors or medicines or technology. But in the end, 
Time is gonna hunt you down and make the kill. It's a predator. And then I love this. This this is a great philosophical discussion, which is why I, one of the things that I think makes this such a great Star Trek story. Picard then responds with, "It's our mortality that defines us. It's the truth of our existence." And he goes, "What if I told you I found a new truth? In the Nexus, time has no meaning. The predator has no teeth." That's like such a great philosophical discussion back and forth between them and i think you see there is soren has convinced himself in his mind that you know people are gonna die anyway like mm -hmm. these people eventually will die what does it matter if they die now or they die later mm -hmm. um you know i you know i'm just trying to get back the thing that makes me happy and I can, that's such a relatable idea that, that the boar killed all of his family and all of the people that he loved. And <clears throat> basically before he even had time to grieve, right? He didn't, they didn't even, they were just fleeing and they didn't even have time to grieve over the loss of his family. And then they got put inside the Nexus and Guinan describes the Nexus she said, it's like being wrapped inside of joy, as if joy was something tangible you could just live inside of. Doesn't that seem like an amazing thing? Absolutely. Who doesn't want to be wrapped inside a blanket of joy? <laughs> right. I mean, and so his family was killed by the Borg, and he didn't even have time to grieve. And then he got them back. And he got them back in in this pure moment of joy, and then it was ripped away from him. And he says, I spent 80 years trying to find another way. I didn't want this. This, isn't, this was not my first choice. I didn't just immediately try to blow up these two stars. Like, I spent 80 years trying to find a way where I could do this without hurting anybody. But I couldn't. This is the only yeah. way. And he's not some mustache twirling, you know, guy bent on. He's just a, a he's just a guy. And I can right. relate to him and I can understand his motivations. Yeah. There's um, I'm going to try and not put my foot in my mouth on this one. There's um, I think it's philosophy, theology, depending on how you want to, like, spin it. But um like you're talking about this um, this quote that he said, um, where'd it go? Like that, yeah, the the whole the predator and, but in the end, time is is going to hunt you down and make the kill. Okay, like that part and like being wrapped in pure joy, like it's a tangible kind of thing where where time has no meaning. There's this thought in some. Um, areas of at least Christian theology that time was something that entered in as a result of the fall, like from a biblical worldview. Okay, so if we just kind of take that um, as maybe like one, maybe we could take that as like one consideration for kind of like what might be attempted to be being said in this context that from a biblical worldview, perhaps like time is the thing that came as a result of the fall. Like now we have to like truly track 
these different things and that time is this predator that we're like talking about with Tully and Soren. Um, whether you, whether you, me or anyone, which I do subscribe to a biblical worldview, I think it's something to maybe consider to maybe look at, um, whenever they're, they're developing this philosophy, this way of kind of talking about what the nexus is and what it isn't and what that means for these characters in this particular film. Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of interesting. Yeah, and and, and t- to to speak on the nexus here, um, you know, being wrapped inside a blanket of joy sounds amazing, and and the the guy in Echo inside there says this is as real as you want it to be, or as real as you make it, and I think we see in in film and literature these people that have lost their family member and through some some whatever machination of the story they get their family member back and there are some people who will do whatever it takes to cling on to that person and there are some people that say you know i lost you this isn't real and i have to let you go mm-hmm. and and you know i always like seeing stories like that and i think this is this is that type of story here. It's as real as you can make it to be. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I will say that, um, you know, um, my dad died in 2000. I was 12 years old. Um, and I will tell you, um, the idea of the Nexus sounded like an amazing idea to me in my life at that time. Like I, I went through a lot of struggles in my life after my dad died and I would have given anything for a nexus to exist where I could go and I could just be back together with my dad after that. And so I understand everything that Soren is going through here because I can't, I mean, I'd like to be able to think that I wouldn't blow up a star and kill a planet of 230 million people. But the idea of, doing whatever it takes to get back to that to 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 find what you've lost um like i get it i get it and i would have given almost anything for that yeah you know in in all the time that i've known you i can maybe count on one hand the number of times that we've talked about your dad in the time that i've known you so Thank you for, for sharing that. Um, as we wrap up this movie, unless there's maybe a few closing thoughts that you have, I um, know you could probably talk. You could talk about this movie no, until I, you're blue I, in the face. I mean, I mean, I will just finish up this this idea of time being a predator. Is that when they're on when they're on the ship at the end? Picard's like he says to Riker. He says. Somebody once told me that time is like a predator that stalks you. And Picard's like, I prefer to think of time as a companion that follows us on our journey and teaches us to cherish every moment while it's here. And that we have to understand that what we leave behind is just as important as, um, as how we've lived. And then he goes, after all, we're only mortal. And, and Riker goes, speak for yourself. I plan to live forever. Oh, and and what happens in Picard? Sorry. <laughs> oh, oh man. Oh, okay. 
Oh, shoot. Picard is going to live forever. Not really. Not really. Uh, not really. But um, it does take me back to um, early an early Picard episode um, where Picard is, is standing at his mantle by the firelight, and there's a reflection of the fire on a, on a clock. And I remember people were, like, were gravitating to that and talking about how time is the fire in which we burn. Oh. And I'm like, oh, I see what you did there. Actually, you know, um, Malcolm McDowell um, was so fascinated with that quote, time is the fire in which we burn. Like, his character is wearing a watch throughout the movie that was mm-hmm. given to him as part of, like, his his payment for the movie. And he actually got that quote engraved on the underside of his watch because he was so taken by it. Interesting. It's very interesting. Yeah. There was... Um, when we were talking, so just briefly about props, um, the the production team had actually planned on introducing new uniforms for this movie. I don't know if you knew this or not, Eric, um, but it was going to it was it was kind of like a quasi like next gen uniform with kind of like a little clasp kind of thing that they had going on with. Um, the original crew's uh, movie uniforms and the toy designers for this um, they had actually already made them but then the production team last minute was like no we don't want to be introducing all those a third, all those changes a to third the universe set of uniforms basically like they didn't want to be making all these in universe changes and stuff like they were going to like come up with like a new com badge and like a uniform and stuff so like very last minute they decided that they were going to like bring on like the ds9 um jumpsuit thing so um frakes had to, um it's it's famous at this point but frakes borrowed um uh brooks's uniform and um lavar burton borrowed um Colomini's uniform I'm surprised Jonathan Frakes could fit into Avery Brooks's uniform because well, that's the thing. That's why it was rolled up. <laughs> he's he's like a couple inches taller. Yeah, that's why it was rolled up and stuff like with the sleeves, and it was like really ill-fitting <laughs> on him. But like you saw him like wear it in like just a few scenes, basically. But like they were they were kind of mixing and matching uh, the uniforms, which also creates the whole like in universe explanation of like why there can be, um, multiple uniforms at the same time. Like one can be like an on duty uniform versus a, like a class A class B kind of uniform kind of thing like the military does. So, and then of course we saw that in lower decks, how there's like two different uniforms, both in service on ships. It's kind of like up to the commander on like the style in which they adopt for their vessel. So, um, but interestingly enough, like all the women on on the Enterprise stayed in like the the TNG era uniforms. So, but the guys were the ones that were mainly just kind of switching in and out. And by the way, speaking of uniforms, I found a person. A friend of mine helped me find a person in um, the UK. I think that makes the naval uniforms from the 
the uh, promotion ceremony. So that and there's they also um, make the Love Boat, um, Star Trek Love Boat ones. Have you seen this? No. So there was, I think it was on Saturday Night Live, like back in the 90s. And it was, it was when Patrick Stewart showed up to host. And they did a, um, like a Love Boat in Space. <laughs> and... And they had like all the next gen crew as the love boat cast, basically. So they had like Patrick Stewart, of course, as Picard. They had Chris Farley that played Riker. Um, Tim Meadows played LaForge. Um, and like s- just some other random people. And it was hilarious. But they had like white, white shorts, like kind of short shorts. They had like basically the next gen top right but instead of it being black and like your division color it was white and the division color and then it was a naval hat um like an like you know i'm talking about like a naval like yeah yeah i I got you naval hat um but it had like the the starfleet delta and anyways there's someone in the uk that makes that and i totally want one (laughs) and i know that has like nothing to do with with generations apart from like all the uniform changes but i think it's fantastic and i would wear the mess out of that i'm just saying (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and every time I go to like a spirit Halloween and I see a captain's hat I'm like I could just totally buy combat stick that sucker on there and I'm good to go I'm going to find this link I've watched it I can't tell you how many times I'm going to find the link and I'm going to post it in the group so go watch it go watch it I mean you might laugh I don't know it might be up there with like the data humor that we see in this movie but Anyway, I'm not even going to ask you to rate this because I know you're going to give it like a 10. So, no, like from from a pure entertainment value, like it's a, it's a 10. But like if I'm being objective as a movie, it's it's an 8.2 and 8.3, something like that. Like I can gotcha. be objective. I, I I agree. I say I think that you know subplot wise, I think some of them subplots disappear and don't stand out as strong and some of the supporting characters don't get enough to do so Mm -hmm. i understand like you know it has to drop down and the lighting the lighting on this thing for some reason just doesn't work for me like we always talk about the enterprise d being the hilton in space but when you watch this movie it's how dark is it like picard's ready room it's like Turn on the lights in Picard's quarters. Turn on the lights. <laughs> right. It looks it like is, yesterday's like Enterprise lighting scheme. It is dark. And, yeah. and D- David Carson, the director of this movie, directed yesterday's Enterprise as well. There we go. There we go. <laughs> but it is like dark. Yeah. That was I think that was the thing that bugged me the most like with the Enterprise was how freaking dark it was. I know they were probably going for more of a dramatic tone because yeah, you know, and, they're, and they're on the big screen and Picard's family had died so like you're using lighting to create mood I get it I, I get it but it's like shocking how dark it is yeah yeah oh man I like this movie I don't I've, I've never ever been on the bandwagon that hates generations I think that's a great movie and I think the only next gen movie I I'm not crazy about is Nemesis. I, I think that. I mean, I think Nemesis to me, I'll, I'll, I'll describe it as there's a pretty good movie you could make out of that basic story. That just wasn't it. 
Right, and that, that's the general consensus with the the next gen cast too with Nemesis, but uh, I mean even Insurrection, which I actually saw in theaters back in nineteen ninety eight. I did too. Yeah, that was the um, first Star Trek movie I saw in theaters. Um, the movie has definitely grown on me, um, and I've I'm like I like it the more I watch it, um, but it's not it, it's not like my favorite by any means. Like it's. I enjoy it. I, I, I enjoy that movie more and more. And Generations... I mean, Generations is up there as one of my favorite uh, Star Trek movies. And it's not because it's next-gen crew. I just think it's a good movie. So It's a good movie. It's a good movie. And, you know, if you are a new Trek fan, first off, you're welcome here. We're happy to have you here. I'm glad that you're listening to this. And I hope that some of the joy that... Eric has for this movie that I mean that I have for this movie too that it jumps onto you and that it's contagious in a non-COVID kind of way and that you go and you watch this movie and and that you enjoy it right um I mean go watch I think you got to go watch some next gen but yeah I mean I I, listen, I think you can enjoy the movie without seeing next gen but it's much more enjoyable once you've seen next gen absolutely absolutely so um, go check it out whenever you can and stuff. It, um, hey, if you're watching Discovery right now and you've got CBS All Access, it's this movie is available on CBS All Access. That's true. That's true. Along with, I think, all Star Trek is on all CBS All Star Access. Trek, yes. Including the animated series is on there too, which we don't talk about, by the way. <laughs> I mean, I've only seen it the one time. <laughs> Okay. Well, I'm glad that we were able to have this conversation and talk about Star Trek Generations. And it's, it's, it's kind of cool that it's working out this way, too, um, because David and I, David Fogel and I, are going to be starting um, basically a book discussion, pretty much some kind of Star Trek book discussion every month on the 27th, um, schedules permitting, of course. And the next book that we're going to be talking about is The Return, which is the, the, the book that, or the, it's a storyline that picks up directly following Kirk's death in this movie. So make sure that you've listened to this. Of course, I mean, we're at the end of this episode, so of course you've listened to it. Um, but then <laughs> if you want to, go to Audible, A Half Price Books, and Amazon. Um, anywhere that you get your books and grab the return and maybe check it out and listen to it, read it or both um, before, during or after this next episode that we're going to be producing here pretty soon. Um, I had a lot of fun recording this episode. That's not to say I don't have fun recording most episodes, but I, I genuinely had a great time me too. with this episode i think we we've laughed a lot on this one more than any other episode really yes chase we have <laughs> <laughs> all right mr tricorder <laughs> <laughs> mr tricorder will always make me laugh i don't i'll be 80 years old laughing at mr tricorder <laughs> oh man all right i'm gonna get you a mr tricorder for christmas don't worry <laughs> all right gang well 
Eric, thank you again for joining me. Um, don't forget that we will be back soon for um, another discussion with um, Engaged as we talk Engage as we talk about um, Star Trek Discovery um, here pretty soon. And make sure that you're staying up to date with that. And um, you know, what do you th if you've never seen um, Generations again, go check it out. Um, you know, you don't again we, like we said, we don't need to watch. The next generation to be able to enjoy it but i think you'll appreciate it more if you do watch it so uh pick a streaming platform or just go to a used bookstore and buy the series on dvd or blu-ray and get after it uh, we will be back on the 27th right after thanksgiving with um, our next episode the return um, as we talk about the book from the shatner verse uh, which has a direct tie into this storyline um, if you like what you heard, make sure that you um, that you let us know. Um, you know, like, follow, subscribe, do all the things um, so that uh, one we know you know that you're you're liking and enjoying this content that we're producing. Tell a friend about it. If you got a Trek friend, tell them about it. We are on all the socials. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at TRTV Pod. Um, if you want to get in contact with us, you can go to our website, trtvpod.com, check out hailing frequencies. There's a couple different um, options for getting in touch with us. You can also send us um, an email by entering in coordinates to trtvpod at gmail.com. You can also send us a voice-only transmission to 817-752-4757. Um, again, that's 817-752-4757. There's a three-minute time limit and your comments may be used on a future episode of these are the voyages and finally if you want to write to us you can do that you can send it to the lone star station at p.o box 2455 azel texas 76098 folks again thank you for for joining us today as we talk about this classic ish movie star trek generations and as we leave here today remember to boldly go and make it so